From Love and Radio, you're listening to The Secrets Hotline at 929secrets. I'm Nick Vanderkolk. Hi, Nick. My family had a piece of lore that was pan-generational. It was about my mother, who supposedly was born dead. My grandmother was a very small woman. The family always said that she was too small to have a child. And when my mother was born, and this is in, back in the 1930s, she was born prematurely, and she was born dead. My grandmother was being cared for by the doctor and nobody had time to look after the baby because my grandmother was near death. So goes the lore. My great aunt took the inert body of my mother and put it in the oven and then put it in a bath of ice cubes back and forth until my mother revived. If she hadn't done that, the baby would have been dead and I wouldn't be here. The interesting part of this story, other than the possibility that it's true, is that I was told this while both my mother and my grandmother were alive. They said this definitely happened. Of course, my mother had less of an ability to verify this, but my grandmother also said it happened. Every family member that was alive at the time said it happened. Now it's years later, and everyone who could corroborate it is no longer with us, but I kind of believe it. Thanks, Nick. When I was a kid, I had an uncle that I just adored. You can bleep out his name, but it was Uncle and he was just the greatest. He was the kind of uncle that when we saw him, it was just the world stopped and everything revolved around him. And he was just so wonderful and fun. He was the kind of uncle that would bring his little dogs around and we weren't allowed to have dogs in the house. We only got to see him a few times a year. The summer before my 11th birthday, My mom greets my brothers and I coming home from summer camp one day with my baby sister in her arms, obviously crying. She had been crying, my mother, which she never did. And she said, I have some terrible news. Your uncle is dead. We started crying when we processed it. And she said he was hit by a drunk driver and he's dead. We all sat on my brother's bed and grieved. And then... Life went on. There was no funeral. There was no discussion about anything. We were kids. We didn't know what was normal and what wasn't. My mom always cried when you brought up his name, but that was it. Years later, I'm home from college on a summer break, and my parents were out one night and was feeling like a kid again, so I did what kids do, and I was rifling through my parents' drawers, you know, looking for porn or whatever. And I find a magazine, Time magazine. It was hidden under my mom's underwear and socks and everything. And I was like, why is there a Time magazine hidden here? The cover was called The Face of AIDS. The whole issue was dedicated to the AIDS crisis. I sat on my parents' bed and flipped through it and flipped through it and flipped through it. And somewhere towards the end, I see it. I see a small thumbnail picture of my uncle's And underneath it, there was a quote. And he said, even though I'm now blind, I can see clearly for the first time. And then said that died of AIDS after going blind. I think that was a side effect of early AIDS before everything was treated. So he had a horrible, lonely death. I didn't know what to do with this information. I had, I called on my brother who was in medical school in the city and I said I have to see you I told him everything I saw and then he said I think I knew 
I think I knew. And he told me a couple hints that he had too. And I said, what do we do? And my parents and I did not have a great relationship. I did not feel like being confrontational. I decided to keep quiet and think. And for years, I kept this a secret. Years later, the brother that I had dinner with had his first child, my niece. The whole family was gathered there outside the delivery room waiting. My brother walks down the hall with this tiny little baby package in his arms and he opened the door and he introduced us to my niece, the first niece, the first grandchild. And then he said, she is named after who died of AIDS and we love him. And years later, my brother got a message it was a long email from a man we'd never heard of. And he told my brother that my uncle was his lover for years and he loved him so much. And he had his ashes and they're safe with him. And he just wanted to know. Warren wanted us to know that my uncle was loved. But all those years, they thought he died alone. But he didn't. He had a whole community that we didn't know about. Still to this day, we don't really talk about it, but it's one of those secrets that we all know and we know that each other knows, but it's never really been discussed. And maybe I should. Thanks. Why scream into the void when you can scream into a podcast instead? Call the Secrets Hotline at 929-SECRETS or visit secretshotline.org. My uncle, let's call him Larry. Larry was a bank president many, many years ago in the late 60s. He um, had a very successful life with his business and investments and stuff like that. And my aunt, Barb, was mostly a stay-at-home mom with five kids. In the early 90s, my aunt Barb found out that my uncle Larry has been having an affair with a woman at his job. Not only was he having an affair, but he had four children with her. My aunt was very distraught. She was a hardcore Catholic. She didn't want to leave the family structure and especially the money that was coming in from him. She went to the priest. The priest said, no, tell somebody in your family. So she told her oldest son, Rob. Rob and his wife were just newlyweds. They were just some young 20s kids and nothing really happened about it. My aunt would go down to Florida for a month after her kids moved out, and she would take my grandma, her mom, with her. And while she was gone, this woman, who was his mistress, would move into the house for a month and stay in the house. Unfortunately, this mistress, one of her children died in a car accident. And this entire time, my cousins had no knowledge at all about these kids and my aunt never said anything. They remained married the whole time. Sadly, the oldest cousin had a brain aneurysm and died during COVID. And then my uncle Larry died about nine months later of a heart attack. When my uncle died, he left several small cottages at a lake where I grew up and there was a safe. My cousins opened it and they found all these photographs of his secret other family of all these kids. To this day, as far as I know, these three grown people were probably entering their late 40s, have no knowledge who their dad is, and they don't know their half-siblings. 
I'm assuming that my uncle has a very large wealth that was left behind, and my aunt does not want to lose that to these sad kids who were raised without a father. I don't know how that woman managed to do that, to raise four kids without my uncle ever being present in their life. It's just really sad to think that. I keep thinking one of these days someone's going to do a DNA test, you know, like the 23andMe or Ancestry or something like that, and they're going to see that they have a close match with my first cousins, and they're going to find out. So it's kind of like a ticking time bomb to when one of these three or their future kids that they might have now takes one of these tests. <sighs> it's overwhelming to think that that happened in our family, but it did. I don't know anything about this mistress. I don't know her name. I don't much about her, but you know, I'm sure she's still grieving at the loss of my uncle. And I feel sorry for her that she had to go through so many decades of keeping a secret and not enjoying having the partner in her life. It makes me really sad for her. All right, that's all. Hi. Oh man, I've been listening to this for so long, but I've never called. My grandmother, my mother's mother used to say that her mother, my great-grandmother Anna, when she came to the U.S. from Russian-occupied Poland, she was single. She was in her mid-20s and single, which in 1910-ish was super rare. She was working in a garment factory in Pennsylvania. My grandmother would say that all the other women were jealous of Anna, my great-grandmother, that she was beautiful and she was single and all the men wanted to date her, but she didn't give a shit. She didn't want to date them. One day, a woman who was jealous of her pushed her into the machine and it cut off her right hand. I don't know if the jealousy piece is real. I do know that she didn't have a right hand and she never used her prosthetic hand that she had, like a wooden hand. When I was younger and I smoked, my grandmother used to say that I should get the prosthetic hand out of the attic and use it as an ashtray. Anyway, while she was in the hospital, a man from the village in Poland that she had danced with once was living in Pennsylvania as well and had heard that she had hurt herself and visited her in the hospital and they fell in love and he became my great-grandfather. A piece of the lore too, I would be remiss to not say is that these people um, went through a lot of really painful things, really terrible things, as many people do. But I think there was an air of, this is what you get, you have to accept it. I'm from a working class, former coal town, where people don't go to therapy. They don't talk about what's happened to them. If you don't call the devil by his name, if you don't say that you don't deserve those things. I mean, I understand why they didn't have the resources to do that or the time, but they might just end up in your great-great-grandchildren, you know? I guess this is just to say that these bad things that have happened to you, whether you're being exploited or hurt, you don't deserve them. And I, I hope that you can find support. And I know this makes you feel like out of left field, but yeah, I hope everybody can just easily undo what it is they've inherited. 
hey, I was just listening to the story about orgasm and female orgasms, and I was a little surprised to find out that she was shocked that men might fake orgasm. Can you imagine that would never happen? A man who's like, I just it makes me feel good to like make her feel good, thinking that she can make me feel good, even though she's not actually doing it right. I've been faking orgasm off and on most of my life, and I don't have a problem with it. Sometimes you just want to end sex, and it's the right time for both of you. It seems like women expect men to orgasm every time. So you breathe hard, you shake a little bit, and uh, you fake a little bit. Definitely something men can do. That's it for Love and... That's it for the Secrets Hotline, for now. Of course, you can leave your own secret or response at secretshotline.org by calling 929-SECRETS or just recording something yourself and emailing it to contact at secretshotline.org. I'm thinking about doing a part two of Family Lore Stories, so if you felt inspired after listening to this episode, do call in with your own. Again, you can record by visiting secretshotline.org or by calling 929-SECRETS. If you change your mind for whatever reason, just call back within 24 hours and I'll make sure your call doesn't make it into the podcast. And if you can, find a quiet place to record and don't use a speakerphone or hands-free device. The quality of the call is much better when you don't. This episode featured the music of And All Things Begin to Drift, which is a new album from Memory Scale. Check the show notes for the full playlist. The Secrets Hotline is a labor of love and radio and made possible thanks to our subscribers. If you want to join the group of fine, beautiful people who make this show possible, go to loveandradio.org member to support us on Patreon. Or if you use Apple Podcasts, just subscribe right in the app. You'll be supporting a show you love and get access to special ad-free extended episodes with extra secrets. If you like the show, please leave a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. It helps other people discover the show. I'm Nicholas Sardine, Punch Punch Vanderkolk. Thank you for listening.